fellow Franco fans. Welcome to episode 80. Wow, big 80. Uh, this will be a special episode. So, once again, I am your host, Jason Rudy, from the Resurrected Desperate Visions Productions. Although I've been thinking about changing my production company name. I'm not sure. Had a few ideas, but I uh, don't want to put them out there yet. But uh, yeah, had a few ideas. But uh, right now, back on the editing chair in uh, Manuel and Sin City and uh, Lady Hyde. Uh, I've been picking up some empty um, or missing pieces to fit in the puzzle. And uh, it's made me uh, a little happy again. Get the confidence back up again. So it's always nice. And uh, it's always a good thing to have. So uh, yeah. Been a better place now than I was a little bit ago, so um, thank you to the universe for that. Even though, as we record this, the world is at a total, uh, I don't know, unease right now, total things going on everywhere, so uh, pray for uh, all that's that's going on and all that stuff. So, anyway, on to uh, things that we look forward to, which is Jess Franco and Jess Franco Films. And for this, this will be a little bit of a different episode, as you noticed already in the beginning. Since this is a uh, a milestone um, episode number, episode 80, you know, I could have one for 75, but I figured 80 is good. And this is a milestone film, uh, film number 15 for Jess Franco, that really changed a lot of his cinema and where everything kind of just starts moving into a certain direction for a short while. And uh, it really sets the blueprint for everything that he does later on, his style and his, his gig and all that stuff. Because, you know, before this, he, he had like Dr. Orloff and, and uh, Dr. Z and, and all those stuff like that that were starting to hit his his certain, uh, you know, pulses and his certain milestones and, and his, his certain um, motifs. But this is one... Um, that really is important, and this is uh, the film Succubus, also known as Necronomicon. Uh, Necronomicon, of course, is the Book of the Dead from H.P. Um, Lovecraft that was used later on in folklore and Evil Dead and uh, Dunwich Horror and other stuff like that. But um, So for this uh, episode, we're going to do a little something different. Kind of, I've done it before, but a little bit different this time. I'm going to basically do the beginning, uh, kind of talk about the film, give you all the info, of course, which we always take from uh, Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1 by Stephen Thor with Julien Granger. Uh, And then um, I'm going to do uh, a little review by myself with kind of go over the Franco list and telling you some of the things, some of the things that he hit and then things that I liked. And then, but I'm going to cut it short, and then we're going to have two guests uh, on this episode, two guest reviewers for this episode. Uh, since this is a special episode 80, I'm going to go international on this one, and uh, joining us live um, from Norway, we have a special guest, Ragnar Tevit is here to uh, join us. Uh, he is a longtime uh, listener of the Franco Observer podcast. And uh, I put out an email. If you uh, follow us on the Franco Observer page on Facebook or Instagram or like tw- uh, anything like that, you'll see uh, news like this. So I put out to the people, said, hey, I'm looking for some guest reviewers to come on and, uh, you know, 
talk to me about some of these films. Is anybody interested? Because, um, you know, I always want to see if people want to join this podcast uh, for one episode or more, you know, and uh, join in the Jess Franco fan fun. And uh, he reached out to me. So, yeah, he's going to join us. Uh, I'm going to talk to him a little bit uh, about Succubus. And then following that, uh, from Los Angeles, California, the home of the doors, um, joining us is uh, returning guest uh, Kali Sini. Uh, it's been a few months, and she's um, jumped back in and wanted to uh, climb aboard the succubus, uh, the, the succubus train, so we say, and uh, climb on board and on the one-way ticket to the Necronomicon. So, yeah, so she's going to join us, and me and her, or excuse me, her and I are going to uh, talk about Succubus and what she likes about it and what I like about it and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit different this episode. Uh, we're going to kind of divide it into, like I said, the opening and then three reviews of Succubus. So, um, I haven't talked to them about what version they're going to watch um, because there's the uh, German cut and the United States cut. Um, of course, the German cut's about two minutes longer. Um, the version Necronomicon. Even though the Succubus cut... Cause, <clears throat> okay, well, let's see. I'll go back here. I have both copies. I have uh, Succubus, the American one, of course, which is out of print, but is easier to get. That's the Blue Underground put it out. And I think before that, Anchor Bay put it out. Um, but uh, yeah, it's on DVD. Not on Blu-ray yet in America. Probably, hopefully, soon to be. Uh, but yeah, this is the DVD Blue Underground 79-minute cut. It says here. And then I also have the Necronomicon, which is a DVD-R, uh, which is the German cut. And uh, let's see here, as I look at this. This is the uh, yeah German with English subs letterboxed print. And uh, it's a DVD-R of that. So, but uh, it says 78-minute version on that, which is odd, but... Yeah, if it's the German cut, then that's preferred. So I'm going to watch that, and I assume that... I don't know, actually, call. I'm not sure what version she'll be watching, or Ragnar, so uh, this will be interesting. We'll talk about things, because, uh, yeah, it's a different, little bit of different cuts between the two films, uh, a little bit of a pacing thing, and dialogue removal and all that. But, uh, yeah, we'll go into that as we read through the book, so... All right, so thank you all again for listening to uh, us so far as we enter um, number 80. And uh, the next one will be, of course, 90 and then 100. So the 100th episode should be a fun, rollicking time. And, of course, all the stops along the way. So, all right, here we go. Jumping on board. Uh, jumping on board the Succubus Necronomicon experience. All right, Succubus, West Germany, 1966-1967. Original theatrical title in country of origin, Necronomicon. Uh, alternative titles, German poster states it as um, Necronomicon Dreamed Sins. So uh, Necronomicon Dermate Suden. Uh, the Italian theatrical title is a Delirium, which, of course, is a title used in a few other films. So uh, that's really not a good one. I think uh, didn't um, Lindsay use Delirium and then, of course, uh, a couple of other Italian filmmakers. Uh, let's see. And then we have uh, Necronomicon, the French theatrical title. And 
shooting title, which I like, you know, and well, I think as a filmmaker, I always like to try to reuse these, uh, shooting titles that were never used. And this shooting title is, um, the green eyes of the devil, also known as green eyes shooting title. So yeah, green eyes of the devil. All right. Production company on this, uh, Aquila or Aquila films enterprises of Munich. Uh, 1969, Trans-American Films out of Los Angeles was the U.S. Prince. The theatrical distributor is uh, Constant Films out of Munich and Trans-American Films in Los Angeles and finally Oppidun UK Limited London, uh, David Grant Presents. Timeline, shooting title on this, I'm sorry, shooting date on this is uh, late 1966 or early 1967 it's interesting it doesn't have re- like exact months or anything uh it finally came out um it says june 29th of 67 for the berlin film market screening okay so say it shot early 67 that would be let's say january february then it, they should do a little um screening for the film market in like June. So like maybe four months after it's cut, put together all that stuff, they, they screen it. Then it goes away until, uh, uh, it gets a certificate issued in West Germany in January 25th of 1968, which is like six months later, uh, or seven months later actually. And then it jumps ahead West German release in April 19th of 1968 so uh june april may june so two so almost like basically um a year about uh 10 months later it finally plays after its berlin uh um screening so that's bizarre it, this one took, took a long time to to like really start playing basically what i'm trying to say which is the opposite of jess franco but at this time though he was having a hard time getting his film screened until like a little bit later, which is opposite and bizarre. Later on, it would just be put it out, and then within six months, it'd already be playing. Um, all right, so uh, Westerman release, of course, April 19th, 1968. And then uh, Italian, uh, Florence, October 24th, 1968. Played Canada, Ottawa, Ontario, uh, August 6th of 1969. Then played Italy, Rome of March 31st, 1971. A little jump there. And then uh, USA, April 25th, 1969. Yeah, that's where they have it out of order there. Uh, and then France of June 6th, 1972. Then French visa issued July 21st, 72. And UK, it got a X certificate issued September 24th of 1973. All right, uh, theatrical running time, West Germany, 82 minutes, USA, 80 minutes, and UK, 80 minutes, 59 seconds. Uh, cast, Jeannie Renault, who goes on to play a few films for him. She plays Lorna Green. Not Lauren Green from Bonanza, but Lorna Green. And Lorna is always a great film name. I know Russ Meyer loved the name Lorna. Uh, Jack Taylor uh, appears here, I believe, for the first time in Jess Franco Universe as William Bill Francis Mulligan. So William Francis Mulligan, or William or Bill Francis Mulligan. Uh, Adrian Hooven plays Ralph Drawn, the psychiatrist. Howard Vernon returns uh, as Admiral Kip. And then we have 
Nathaniel Nort as Bella, Woman on Cross, uh, Michael Lemoni, Pierce, Lorna's Master, and uh, Pierre Carmichael, I'm sorry, Pierre Kaminsky as Herman, uh, Enrico Combra as Crucified Actor, Lena DeWolf as Eva Browner, uncredited Antoine St. Jean as Herman's friend at Berlin Nightclub, Dante Ponsai, man watching Lorna's nightclub show, and Dora T. Dom. Credits, uh, directed by Jess Franco, screenplay Pierre A. Kamenichi. Okay, that's the uh, same person that played Harmon. Um, uh, let's see, director of photography, Franz Litterly, Jorg Herico, film editor, Frenzy Schmidt, and let's see, what else do we have? Um... There's music on this. Let's see. Music arranged and orchestrated by Jerry Vaughn Royan. That's interesting. No Daniel White or... Um, yeah. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, okay. So, Carl Heinz Majkin was the producer and production manager. And... Um, oh, wow. Janine Ranef- uh, Rayon's costume designed by Carl Lagerfeld, famous designer. Uh, makeup Ingrid Forster. Let's see. Okay, good. All right, so um, I'm going to skip the synopsis because I always put that in with my review. So um, I'm going to skip over some things and kind of go over the um, production notes. Um, there's quite a bit of stuff in here. I'm going to kind of not do as much because it's going to be a longer episode. So, All right, um, sometime in either 1966 or early 1967, possibly overlapping with post-production on Lucky the Inscrutable, Succubus went before the cameras as the green eyes of the devil. Little is known about the exact shooting schedule. Even a prominently displayed poster for Dr. Zhivago outside the Royal Film Plast Theater doesn't help. The lean epic played there for 166 weeks. Wow. Um, we do know that the It Was Ready for Time for the 17th Berlin Film Market, a trade event running simultaneously with the prestigious Berlin International Film Festival. It was screened there on June 29th, 67, 1967, as Necronomicon. The film went immediately controversial. The film was immediately controversial. Franco's sadomasochism and druggy decadence were at the edge of what was permissible at the time. At first, only the West German market was ready for it. Censors granted a certificate on January 25, 1968, and Necronomicon made its commercial screen debut in Berlin on April 19, 1968. Even this was almost a year after its trade screening, a long hiatus at a time when film trends were changing so rapidly. That's funny, I was checking that out earlier. Ironic, too, given the scenes in which were... scenes in which leading man Jack Taylor says the films are that films are outmoded because they're shown three months after they're made. For the Spanish market, Necronomicon proved irresistible, impossible to release. Were still, despite being a German production spot, shot in Lisbon and Berlin, the Spanish authorities accused Franco of shooting parts of the film illicitly in Spain. Nothing he said could dissuade them. As a result, he found it increasingly difficult to work in his native land. So, yeah, that's not a good thing. All right. Review from Stephen Thrower. Uh, Necronomicon, or Succubus, as it's more commonly known, is a feature film number 15 from the prolific Spanish wonderkind. 
But this is not just another Franco movie. It is the point at which everything changes. A charged... I, I, well, that's an interesting word. A charged loaderstone that transforms his cinema, pointing the way to the manifold wonders of his subsequent career. It marks a decisive shift in his approach, setting in motion a world drifting apart of the components expected in commercial genre cinema. Prior to this, Franco's style had matched the demands of the genre in which he chose to operate. The Orloff films are relatively straightforward. Crime thrillers pursue the aims of the noir-inflected dramas. Even Lucky the Inscrutable, with its cartoon bubbles, campy excess, and glances to camera, plays the comedic spy thriller game pretty much by the rules. However wacky these rules may be, only now in Succubus does Franco pull away from the requirements of genre in search of his own personal vision. With a strong debut to the flourishing European art cinema of Godard, Reznos, and Fellini, the plot of Succubus is allowed to dissolve in dreamlike eclipses for which there are no straightforward rational explanations. The film is a surrender on the part of its maker to the seductive call of subjective perception. Logic is undone. Narrative becomes elusive. With Succubus, Franco walks through a doorway into a new dimension of his creativity. But, if we are to accept, as we're often invited to do, then, that it's a centerpiece of a cinema, we must ask questions that could stir more problems than solutions. For instance, what are its themes? What exactly is the mysterious core around which the myriad stars of the Franco galaxy resolve, revolve? This cinema is often referred to as a world in itself, the notion being that it operates as a closed system with its own obscure code of ethics. Yet the film is at least partially comprehensible, and it certainly engages with its prevalent cinema trends of the day. So what's it all about? You could claim that it's about the permeable of reality and illusion, but there's... But that's more of a description of its topography than a statement of meaning. In fact, when you get right down to it, Succubus is about little that is tangible at all. Identity, the war of the sexes, a version of the foul story. One possible interpretation is that it's a study in paranoia. But these are motifs, not meanings. Those ideas do emerge. Those ideas that do emerge seem to spiral away, dissolving into free association games and a torrent of tangible references. Goddard and Hitchcock, Goth and Hein, Faulkner and Saad. Often these references seem close to arbitrary. Word association, used in psychoanalysis to elucidate unconscious thoughts appear as a self-conscious plot motif in Succubus which sends the film trailing off in elusive fragments and there are times when the ensuing tangle of loose ends feel hopelessly pretentious. Balancing this, almost apologizing for it, is Franco's intermittent parody of art cinema's search for meaning, which, while transcending the issue completely, is his newly emerging skill for evoking a 
morbid dreamlike atmosphere in which rational thoughts give way to defocused reverie as the end into itself. All right. Um, kind of skip over what uh, the parts of the movie and that. Go for part of this. In Succubus, though less than Necronomicon, Lorna's true identity is a question in our minds from the word go. Um, let's see. Um, let's see how this is all going to go through here. Actually, I'm going to skip that through. Um, okay. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, it's more about this, kind of about the core of the movie, and I'm going to kind of go through that when I do my review. Here we go. I'm going to jump ahead of this part. Those who would like Franco to be celebrated outside of the sleet circuit often pin their hopes on succubus in the expectation that its obvious cultural awareness will speak to admirers of art cinema. To me, however, succubus is best regarded in context of its time, when erotica learned to sneak past the censor by dragging up as high art. The greatest commercial strength of the art film was its tendency to explore sexuality more frankly than mainstream movies. The view of a significant number of cinema patrons can be surmised as, I can cope with alienation technique as long as the girls get their tits out. Many who trawled art houses in the 1960s were simply looking for a sex kick they could pass off as thoughtful or challenging or radical, rather than simply hot or kinky. And I'm sure that Jess Franco was well aware of it when he wrote this film. So maybe it's time to put the matter to bed, so to speak. The film is witty and beautiful, but not meaningful. It's culturally aware, but not culturally engaged. It's chock full of references, but it uses them as bluffs and distractions, like the fluttering fans of deceitful ladies at court. Each reference is part homage, part piss-take. Franco shows, shows his cultured erudication, but the signposts are at best parodic, and worst merely gestures in a void. Yet, although succubus can be coy and irritating, it is, by and large, a beautiful and imaginative work which demonstrates its creator's erotic daring, his sophistication, and his sardonic sense of humor. It is art, or a parody of art cinema, or a mixture made to a recipe Franco knocked up on the spot. Some scenes indulge beauty for its own sake. The fish tank scenes, for instance... There you go. With its subtle flicker of light on water. There's me at my fish tank shots. See, I haven't yet to watch this film, so I'm learning this as I read. Um, let's see here. Um, the flitting of fish as they dart to and fro with vague love-making figures glimpsed in the background. The tendrils of music curdling like elegant spawned the deep, rich colors lubricating the eyes. All very 1960s, of course, but... An expression of abstract visual charm, a gesture neither too much nor too little. Um, okay, quite a bit there. It's very um, wordy on this film and this book, so that's good, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit too much. Um, can I skip over the music? All right. All right, let's go to the meat and potatoes. <clears throat> Cast and crew. Janine Renan as Lorna makes an astonishing impression, and she's on screen most of the time. She's 
And as she's on screen most of the time, she's an indispensable asset to the production. With strong cheekbones, intense eyes, makeup like a drag queen's fever dream, and a deep, sonorous voice that rivals such female tenors as Nico, Grace Jones, and Amanda Lear, Renault is really quite a find. She was the wife of actor-turned-director Mikael Lamont, who plays her supernatural Svengali in the film. Renault went on to a variety of roles, some notable, including a blackmailer-turned-victim in Sergio Martino's exemplary Gallo, The Case of the Scorpion's Tail, and a starring role, side Lamont, in José Beneferev's extraordinary psychodrama Frustration, 1972. Jacques Taylor, who Maurice Lesseur introduced to Franco shortly before the filming of Succubus, was born George Brown Randall on October 21, 1936. He started acting in the early 1950s, appearing on the Jack Benny Show with Marilyn Monroe. Wow, I didn't know that. After a smattering of TV roles on shows like Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, and Adventures of Captain Grief, he spent some time in Mexico, appearing in horror and action-adventure films for Federico Curiel and Alfonso Corona Blake. Moving to Spain in 1963, he acted in Armando de Osrio's Tomb of the Pistolero, 1964, Leon Kimovsky's Fiera de la Ley, Fiera de la Ley, 1964, and Mateo Cano's Fall of the Mohicans, 1964, before hooking up with Franco. He would go on to appear in nine more Jess Franco films between 1967 and 1977. And we've watched many of those. All right, if not all. Uh, Dante Pisani, handsome co-star of Lucky the Inscrutable, can be seen at the beginning of the film as in, at a nightclub table watching Lorna's show. Pierre Komechki receives screen billing as writer of the story and screenplay. A credit Franco disputed, saying it was simply added to meet legal requirements for German co-productions. Uh, apparently, Franz Lederle was credited as cinematographer for the same reason. Uh, Komechki tried to persuade Franco to make a follow-up, but when Franco refused, he went ahead and made it himself. The results were. Sh- the result is titled. Uh, Via Kurtz eats Zeit zu Leben. How short it! How short is the time for love? Reunited Renault, Michael Lamont, and Kaminsky, and the score once again by Jerry von Royen. Wow, that's cool. So that's a uh, sequel to that. How short is the time for love? I'll check that out myself. So make a note of it. Uh, cool, interesting, and unofficial sequel. Um, American version director Terry von Van. Tell, credited as Terry Van Tell, a.k.a. Terry Curtis, is the wife of dubbing director-actor Jack Curtis, producer of 1962's The Flesh Eaters. All right. I didn't know that. Uh, the pair formed U.S. dubbing company FilmSync, Incorporated in 1955, and created English-language versions of such films as Wages of Fear, 1953, Rafifi, 1955, and two films by Luigi Scatti, War Italian Style, 65 and the glass sphinx 1967 that's cool i know that i think that jack curtis that's uh i don't think that jack no yeah i think jack curtis uh, he did the blob i believe so look up and see but uh yeah sound of the blob and blob and all that so that's cool all right um location or music uh in a film 
where it's impossible to draw lines between opposites, it's fitting that the score by Jerry von Royen, based on the work of Friedrich Gulda, could be as could should be a blend of two quite different traditions. Is it jazz or classical? The themes keep bouncing back and forth between the two. Fragments of Liszt can be heard among jazz expertisms, extemporizations. There are part bebop, part coolest miles, part coolest miles, that's weird, especially the classical Latin fusion sketches of Spain. I should say uh, Miles Davis, not coolest Miles. Uh, personal favorite of Frank Goose. Uh, meanwhile, the music that accompanies Lorna's stage show returns to the atonal piano scrapings of Franco's music for the awful Dr. Orloff. All right. Locations shot in Lisbon and Berlin. The film makes fantastic use of the Torre di Bellum, the fortified tower on the Lisbon coast at the northern mouth of the Tagus River, commissioned by King Yao II as part of the city's defenses. It was also intended to mark a ceremonial gateway to Lisbon for visitors arriving by sea. Completed in 1519 and used as a fort with cannons on the battlements, it went through numerous changes of usage until 1956, when architectural landscaper Antonio Vian Barrento integrated the tower with the local shoreline and created the accessible location used by Franco. It is classified by UNESCO as a World Heritage Site. The most prominent Berlin location is a pedestrian footbridge by the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. Now defunct, the church can be seen in the background as Bill and the Dark Stranger discuss killing Lorna. As he wistfully remembers Lorna, Bill drives past the famous Reichstag building and the oyster-shaped house, der Kultern, der Welt, house on the cultures of the world. During the barroom scene between Lorna and the Admiral, signs appear to indicate an Italian location, the word aperitivo, another word ending bissimo, can be seen. Were scenes from Necrocomicon shot in Rome? This is not impossible. The previous Franco film was Lucky the Inscrutable, a Spanish, Italian, West German co-production made partly in Rome, and the audience for Lorna's stage show includes an uncredited non-speaking appearance by Lucky's Italian co-star, Dante Pisani. Either way, some of the film was shot in Rome studios, or perhaps Franco grabbed a few scenes for this film while making Lucky, which sounds right. Uh, UK theatrical releases. As Succubus, the film had a rocky passage through the UK censor board and was finally granted an X certificate on September 24, 1973. Cuts were made and the film opened in various London sex cinemas in December 1973. Connections. In a sense, Succubus is all about connections. Franco purloined the German language title Necronomicon from the work of Rhode Island scholar, poet, essayist, novelist, and doyen of cosmic horrors, H.P. Lovecraft, the Great, 1890-1937. Lived just 47 years. Wow. I, uh, I've outlived H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Wow. 
All right, H.P. Lovecraft's fictional Necronomicon, a grimoire of gods, spells, and monsters referred to by numerous characters in his fictions, is an imaginary book sometimes taken for a real one that was first referenced, referred to in the short story The Hound, published in 1924. Subsequently, it turned up as a touchstone of occult knowledge in several of the author's later stories, including the novelist at the Mountains of Madness and the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Lovecraft named the Arabian author of the book Abdul Azharat and asserted that copies existed for real in a number of museum libraries around the world. Such was the allure of this fictional construct that readers sometimes believed Lovecraft's claims that the book and its insane Arabian author were real. However, there are no occult grimature. There's no. There is no occult grimoire to be seen in Franco's Necronomicon, nor is one referred to in the script. No omnis, no omniscient narrator conveys the action as it were some forbidden text. Magical lore plays no part in the story, and there are no Arabs screaming curses to ward off demonic, other dimensional monstrosities. Essentially, Franco just loved the word although he did claim he based the story on a genuine grimoire called the Necronomicon. Discovered in fragmentary form and kept by the University of Vienna. <laughs> nice. Uh, some observers... Let's see here. Uh, some observers may put this down to Franco's taste for teasing reviewers or his dedication to blurring the lines between fact and fiction. That's what I think. If it's the latter, it's in entirely in keeping with the theme of the film, which is probably the permeable membrane between reality and fantasy. Given the importance of dreams and Franco, the following quote from occultist Daniel Tysing is also interesting. Oh, that's actually such a big thing. Um, okay, the opening credits appear over close-ups of various paintings shown only in small details. Among the pictures featured are Hieronymus Bosch's The Last Judgment, one of three Bosch triptychs with the same name. Uh, the version used here exists only as a fragment and resides at the Alte Pinakothek in Munich. Necronomicon is a continuation of the mind control theme elaborated in the diabolical Dr. Z with the sinister yet vulnerable Lorna as the Miss Death role and Michael Lamone cast in the Irma Zimmer role. Other filmmakers are invoked in a conversation between Bill and a cynical young woman while he auditions an atrocious avant-garde performance artist, artiste. Deciding that the act they're watching is outmoded, uh, the two trade comments on Stackhausen, Pop Art, and the Rolling Stones. Before Bill dryly remarks, films are outmoded, don't you agree? They're shown three months after they're made. The woman responds, Bunnell, Fritz Lang, Goddard, they're not outmoded. Every time I see their films, they seem new to me. They've got something. The whole exchange between begins as he intended simply to be amusing, but the comments about the three seem serious and heartfelt. See other versions for more in the dialogue. All right, other versions. I'm not going to go through everything here, but basically variations between the German cut, Necronomicon, supervised by Franco, and the American cut, Succubus, supervised by Terry Von Tell for Titan Productions, are numerous. Here is a list of the 18 notable differences. 
and it's basically all dialogue and shots and things that you cut or say uh, a lot of words uh cuts away and then both version ends up sitting a bit and you know it's just uh yeah it's a lot of just cuts those small cuts and adding of little things um let's see okay so that's pretty much good on that i think um what else do we have? Okay, let's go through all the 18. It's quite a bit. Okay. Uh, this just leaves us with the Italian cut, Delirium, to examine. Only recently on Earth, thanks to a fortuitous TV screening, it puts to rest one of the great Franco mysteries, the province of the image of Lorna with the deathly skull face, which appears in the Italian photo novel reproduced in the book Obsession. Long presumed to be either a lost outtake or perhaps something created specifically for the photo novel, it turns up at last here. Instead of okay, here comes spoilers. Instead of ending with Lorna entering the seafront castle as she does in Succubus and Necronomicon, Delirious ends with her driving to the sea, standing on a cliff, turning to the camera to reveal her face as a hideous and very effective death mask, then throwing herself onto the rocks below. The other striking difference is a frankly bizarre sequence at the start, which prefaces Lorna's nightclub act with shots of babies wriggling on a swath of black cloth as if floating in space. That's weird. There are shots. These shots are intercut with images of dolls, one with a pin stuck in its eye. Yikes. Other than these fascinating additions, Delirium contributes nothing new, save for a closing quote from Balzac and a tendency to scramble the sequence order of Succubus during an already confusing narrative completely haywire. Um, problematic. The IMDb currently lists the following actors who do not affect appear. Jess Franco as writer and Daniel White as piano player. Uh, the piano player seen as Count's Castle is not Daniel White. There are several mistranslated credits on U.S. prints. Executive producer and production manager Carl Heinz Matchkin is miscredited as art director and unit manager Robert Geffon as director of photography. Um, press coverage. Basically, it was uh, hardly unanimous. Canopy was highly ambivalent, calling it a German sex fantasy that aspires to be kind of crazy, sophomoric, surreal literacy, uh, otherwise forgettable orgy is brighted with one last cry zone helplessly. Okay, Roger Ebert, on the hand, was boorishly unimpressed. Succubus was a flat-out bomb. It left you stunned and reeling. Uh, there was literally nothing of worth in it. Even the girl was, wow, even the girl was ugly. The color looked like it had been scraped off the bottom of an old garbage boat. The acting resembled a catatonic state. The script had the flair of a baggage tote tag. It was possibly the worst movie of all time, so no wonder that it's in fifth week in its neighbor So no wonder it's in its fifth week in neighborhood theaters after rolling up record grosses in its first run. No matter what the censor board thinks, the Chicago proletariat knows what it likes. Wow, you really trashed it, so Alright, well, I'm going to be excitingly watching Necronomicon tonight for the first time. It's uh, Actually, Succubus is a film I've owned for a long time. I've always been so excited to watch, but held off for this podcast. But, like I said, I'm going to put that aside and watch the uh, Jess Franco-preferred 
German original cut Necronomicon before it was uh, cut down and rearranged and uh, all that stuff by uh, the American producer people. So, alrighty, well, that should wrap up this little part. Uh, in case I don't give the credits on the other end, I'm going to do that now. Uh, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under the Franco Observer um, podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. Um, please download the episodes. Please subscribe. They are added every Wednesday morning. And if you subscribe, they'll always be there waiting for you when you wake up and uh, ready when you want them. So always there by your side. Uh, please rate the show on platforms, Apple and all that stuff if you can. Please give us a positive review. I guess it helps. Um, I don't hear about it or see it, so but I'm told to, that it does. So I'm just going to go along with the uh, you know, words of wisdom, I guess, that I've been told. So I don't know how much wisdom it is. But yeah, so just you know, rate us if you can. It helps. And uh, subscribe and share. And let everybody know about the show. And let's just keep these numbers up. Uh, it's had a good month last month and looking good this month. And, um, so yeah, it's good. And we got about like six more of these early films in the Franco universe. Uh, and then on episode 86, we jump back into film 86. So yeah, uh, this next one, like this is film 15. So basically, uh, in six weeks, we're going to jump like, uh, 70 films. So that should be pretty trippy. So get back to the Franco that we all love. Yeah, episode 86 will be... Episode 86, film 86, his cocktail special. So um, be on the lookout for that uh, in six weeks after this episode. So, Alrighty, well, uh, once again, thank you very much for uh, supporting the Franco Observer podcast. Oh, yeah. Also, if you want to support us, there's a donation button. Uh, if you want to give us a congratulatory donation on this episode i would appreciate it um uh, just a working artist barely starving or barely, of course i'm starving barely getting by so any any help would be appreciated so all right thank you much and uh hang on through the bumper music and i believe we will either start with my solo review uh and then we'll do uh have uh, ragnar um join us and then collie after that and uh We'll talk about the great film Necronomicon. What is no chess? Hey, buddies. All right, fellow Franco fans. Uh, I just watched uh, Succubus slash Necronomicon, and it was very good. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it's funny, the packaging and such uh, always implies it as more of a devil film, like Succubus, and it's got like the upside-down cross with uh, Janine's picture in there, wearing black, and you think it's more devilish than that, but it's really just a different uh, interpretation of Diabolical Dr. Z, or Awful Dr. Orloff, really. So, yeah, like the hypnotized killer killing people, so... But, uh, yeah, it's funny. I always, throughout the years, working in past video stores and seeing the packaging and that, uh, it always made me think of something else. So, uh, this review part is going to be a little different because we have two guest reviewers, and I'm basically just going to go through and hit the synopsis real quick and uh, go through the list. And then I'm going to lay off my um, review until I talk to the two 
guest reviewers. So, all right, here's the synopsis for Succubus. Lorna is a nightclub entertainer whose S&M stage act involves the simulated torture and murder of a chained man and woman. She is living with her man manager slash lover, Bill but has visions slash memories of a strange castle by the sea and a dark man who claims to have created her. As the visions blur into reality, Laura encounters a man called the Admiral, and after playing a word association game with him, she murders him. A few days later, while attending his funeral, she reacts with horror at the sight of the body. At a drunken gathering in a nightclub, a passing stranger refers to Lorna as Countess and implores her to remember who she is. During an LSD trip with Bill at a decadent party, the other guests turn... Let's see. Sorry about that. Um, let's see. All right. Um... At a drunken gathering in a nightclub, a passing stranger refers to Lorna as Countess and implores her to remember who she is. During an LSD trip with Bill at a decadent party, the other guests turning into dogs and return. That's funny. The other guests turn into dogs, it should say, and pretend to eat her. Bill reacts violently when Lorna starts kissing another woman and drags her away. Visits to a bullying psychiatrist trigger further visions, but resolve nothing. Lorna visits the castle of her visions and makes love with a young woman who becomes indistinguishable from the clothes mannequins dotted around the bedchamber. should say clothed mannequins. God, this is all written weird. Lorna smashes the mannequins. Um, smashes the mannequin. Bill leaves for Berlin, and Lorna follows. For a while, they achieve a state of serenity, and they make love. Afterwards, Bill goes to a rendezvous with Lorna's creator. They arrange to shoot her after the completion of her next stage performance. Lorna's act climaxes with the actual murder of the two bound victims, after which she runs outside. As arranged, shots are fired, whilst inside the club, Bill contemptuously, contemptuously surveys the two bound bodies. Returning to his new apartment, he is shocked to be confronted by Lorna, lying naked on his sofa. She demands that he kiss her, and as he does, she pushes a long blade into the back of his neck and kills him. Her creator drives her to the castle of her visions, which she enters. So yeah, that's the synopsis of Succubus. Um, yeah, it's uh, really interesting. Um I really enjoyed it because, uh, well, I'll just give you a quick little thing here. Uh, it reminds me a lot of films that I would make later on um, before I had even seen this. So it was kind of interesting. It was kind of cool. I was like, wow, it looks like uh, Love Blade. Oh, that kind of looks reminds me of Lady M. So, yeah, there's parts of this film that I really do admire because uh, it's very close to my heart. So, yeah, I definitely liked it. Um, and Janine Renault was awesome in it. So, all right, well, I'm going to do it. Uh, a more concise part here and just go through and hit the Franco list. This is the list of things that you see popping up over and over again. And I have a checklist that we go through each episode and uh, see what actually checks off on each list. So, and here we go. All right. Number one, body of water. Yes, it takes a little while to get there, but we do, uh, of course, by the castle, aforementioned castle. 
body of water by there. And you see some boats on there. I don't he didn't catch any sailboats, but you see some boats going by. Uh, number four, palm. So that's one, two, and three. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yes, there is some palm trees in here. Not a lot. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. No, I didn't check that out in this. Uh, number six, chained up person. Yes, there's the two people on the uh, X's on stage, of course, for the S&M act. Uh, and then, of course, at the end, the same two people uh, chained actually to the cross. So they are chained up people in this film. Two of them. Uh, or maybe more. Uh, let's see. Number eight. Clubs. Uh, number seven. Uh, dance scenes on stage stripping. No stripping, but dance scenes on stage, yes. Of course, the uh, S&M act. And then um, she does a strip tease, which is actually even better, uh, in the hotel room for um, her lover slash manager, Bill. Um, and uh, he plays it off and no-sells it. But yeah, she does a really good strip tease there. And then they do another dancing scene on a stage that he's watching uh, an act that's being performed that he's like a manager of. So you see that. That's why he's tired of it, because he sees it every day. Uh, number eight, club scenes slash dancing. Yeah, there's people that are in the club watching that on stage. Um, not a lot of couples dancing, but there is a couple club scenes slash bar scenes, of course. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yes, this film has a great jazz and classical soundtrack mixed together, so uh, the one size to the other, so it works quite well. Uh, number 10, excessive zooms. Not excessive. There are some really nice zooms. Um, like when uh, the creator and Bill are on the bridge, there's a nice zoom way into them. That's really nice. And a few zooms, but nothing too crazy. But that leads us to number 11, out-of-focus shots. Yes, but on purpose. Uh, there's a lot of soft focus of her quote-unquote memories or flashbacks or whatever you want inside her head, uh, paranoia deal, and... Um, so, yeah, those are really soft, focused shots, so they're out of way on that. Number 12, mirror shots. Yes, there's a great mirror shot with her in this. Um, and then, uh, not a lot, but there's about two or three that are pretty good. Um, but, yeah, there's one right in the beginning that you'll see that is pretty cool. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Number 13, mind control theme. Well, that's what this whole film is about, is her being under the mind control of the man. So, it orders her to kill and all for programmed responses to certain words and such. So, yeah, that's totally mind control theme, 100%. Uh, number 14, magic tongue scenes. Well, no Lena, no magic tongue, but uh, there is some make-out scenes on this, but nothing too major. So, yeah, you don't see that. 15, red light. Uh, yes, I caught one, um, There's a which leads to number 18, the fish tank shot. During a fish tank shot with her and Bill, you see shot through the fish tank, uh, there's like a red light off the side that kind of shines on them to imply like something there. But it's very minimal, but that's a small one, but I caught it. 16, uh, sheepskin rug or masturbate scenes. That's negative. Uh, 17, mad scientist. Uh, yeah, there's the creator, of course, that puts her under mind control. You don't see him with test tubes or working in a lab or anything like that, but he's more the devil's Svengali uh, mentalist, whatever, psychiatrist guy, so... That would be him. So, I don't know, maybe partial. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. Yes, the one I talked about. Uh, 19, talking parrot. No talking parrots, but there is a cool birdcage shot that kind of rocks back and forth. Um, let's see what I caught on that one. 
uh, yeah, a little birdcage scene, and then uh, there's also birdcage during the LSE party where they're dancing around with it, and it's actually in that scene. So uh, let's see what else we have. 20 in credits, yes or no. Um, you know what? I didn't even pay attention to that part. She walks in the castle, and I think it just ends with her walking into the shot, and I don't think it says the end or Finn or anything. So, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, 21, handwritten notes. Uh, don't think I caught any handwritten signs on the walls or any makeshift deals, cardboard deals like that. No, I'd say negative on that, uh, but let me know if I'm wrong. 22, spiral staircase shot. Yes, there is one in the second club in like Germany where they go to. And uh, when she goes down the spiral staircase to kill the two people at the end, uh, there's, of course, a spiral staircase shot there. And it's good. It's almost like her descent into hell as she's going down the staircase. So it was used very well in this. Uh, 23, inept cops. There's really no cops in this film. Um, everything's done away from the law, so that's really not a factor. Uh, 24, belly chains. There's no jewelry belly chains but there's the chain across the girl in the red shirts uh, belly at the end but uh yeah it's more of a chained up person chain not a belly chain but still i laugh because it is crossed her midsection so there is technically a belly chain 25 kinks oh yeah there's a lot of whipping and uh torture and uh other kinks on display here that uh start going into other things uh, necrophilia and uh, mind control and so much other stuff. Okay, uh, 26, uh, great headboards. Didn't really catch any great headboards in this. There's some really nice chairs that are kind of shot at an angle to look like a headboard, I think, once or twice. Uh, but yeah, nothing too great. And finally, uh, number 27, fear or desire. I would say desire. They all desire to be with her. She is the succubus, the necronomicon, whatever. And uh, yeah, she's the one that everybody just cannot resist. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, of course, a fear at the end, but it's, it's more about the desire of her and to be with her. And um, so, yeah. And then I guess she fears of uh, Bill not being her receptive lover or whatever. But, yeah, so that would be that. I would say more desire than, than fear. So uh, let's see what else I want to say before I go. Um, oh, yeah, I watched the... Uh, the German cut, which I liked. Um, and then I went and watched the Blue Underground DVD with the Jess Franco uh, interview, which is very amusing, about the Necronomicon and such he talks about. And then the interview with Jack Taylor, which was really cool. Like, I didn't know Jack Taylor was a sculptor of paper mache and everything before he was an actor, and uh, I thought that was really cool. And uh, that Janine Renault was uh, like 37 or 38 when she made this film, so I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, two little bits that I uh, caught off of Franco's interview that I really liked. Um, but yeah, I liked they did the uh, striptease queen of Las Vegas, she says. And uh, um, yeah, I'll talk to some about some of the other stuff in here with the uh, two guests that we have coming up. So, but uh, let's see, anything else I want to talk about here? No, uh, I would say check it out. I liked it. Um, it's a good film. It kind of wanders a little bit. Um, you know, there's. Uh, like Franco talks about, and you know, there's there's coherency, but then it also kind of just wanders. But no, it's cool. I say just hang with it, and watch it, take it in for the whole deal, and uh, I think you'll dig it. So I enjoyed it. So alrighty, uh, well that's cool. I guess I will hang out and uh, talk next to Ragnar from Norway. So hang out and listen to see what he says about the great succubus. 
I've just watched the movie. Um, I was blown away. Yes. Um, um, well, first, let me introduce you. Or actually, um, why don't you introduce our audience to you and tell us where you are from? Yeah. Um, my name is Ragnar Tvet. I'm from Norway. I'm a huge Jess Franco fan. Very cool. Yes, you're one of uh, a few people that uh, always um, likes the podcast and always uh, talks about it. So I do appreciate that very much. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I'm, first of all, I must thank you for making this podcast. It's so great. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I do it because like you, I, I love Jess Franco and, and I love um, learning about him and telling others about him and, and wanting other people to learn about him like I have, you know. So. Yeah, let the, commu- let the community grow. Let's make more fans. Yes, especially worldwide, you know, because yeah. yeah. uh, you're in Norway and I'm in the yeah. uh, United States, uh, uh, California. So it's, that's so, such a long distance and it's cool that all around the world, everybody likes Jess Franco. Yeah, I've, I, I discovered Jess for many years ago, many, maybe 10, 15 years ago, but I, I never checked him out on maybe eight, eight, nine years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then I was hooked. Yeah. He's, he's very interesting. All of his films they're they're so you get into them and then there's another one and another one. There's so many that makes it so, so exciting. And some are good and some are okay, but some are just amazing, amazing films, you know, yeah. like this. And, film. Uh, yes. And, uh, and it's like a drug. If you first first start collecting, you can't stop. Yes, I hear you on that. Very, very true. <laughs> the posters got, and the books and the movies and everything, you know? Yeah, I've got about uh, maybe 150 movies. Very good. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, it's, his, stuff's, his stuff's really, really good. There's so much out there, you know? So yeah. um, is this your first time watching? Uh, okay, um, did you watch Necronomicon or Succubus? Succubus. Succubus, okay. The the Blue Underground edition. Yeah, good, okay. Um, I watched a little bit of that, but I watched um, um, Necronomicon uh, to kind of see the difference, you know, and it's a little bit longer, only maybe like two minutes, just mostly dialogue, you know, but uh, but the Blue Underground is good. But the Blue Underground looks better, you know, the visuals are much easier to see and and very, very nice. I'm kind of looking at it I hope it gets a Blu-ray release. I hope that. Yeah, from what I've heard, there's, you know, because this film, there's Necronomicon, and then it was uh, acquired by a U.S. company, and they edited it down a little bit and did all the voiceovers and stuff. And I think the rights to the problem with the Blu-ray is with them, is what okay. I've heard. So maybe that's why it's kind of waiting to see what happens, you know, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But the blue blue underground release it it's not bad. It's got no. over thirty min thirty minutes of bonus features. So it's a good good release. Yeah, I watched the Jess Franco interview last night and the Jack Taylor interview. Those are really really good. Yeah, really good. Really yeah, good. it's cool. I didn't know that Jack Taylor was a sculptor before he was an actor. He did a paper mache no. sculpting. Yeah, I, I I also found out that through through the interview. Yeah, that's very, very fascinating. I didn't know he, he did that stuff and, and how he learned to act and do all this stuff. That was very, very, very cool. Well, this is his first movie, isn't it? 
you know, I think so. I, I think he might have did something in Mexico or something before this, but yeah, this was his first cool. big one because that's what they talk about in the interview, how he was kind of just an interesting looking person. They wanted to use him to act. Yeah. You know? So it could be his first or one of his very, very first, definitely. So yeah, I think he's perfect for the role. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um, so is this your first time watching this film? Yes, I, I, I've only seen parts of it earlier. I, I've never t- taken the time to watch it. Same here. I've I've waited. Um, when maybe twenty years ago, I worked in a video store, and okay. we used to have this on the VHS. And when oh, yeah. I would look at the cover, I thought it was more like a devil movie, or like because uh, the title Succubus, and they have an upside down cross and. Yeah. in black and i didn't know what kind of a movie it was and you look at the packaging and it it looks different than what the movie is the movie is almost yeah. like a diabolical dr z you know the yeah the robot it, killer killing the people you know yeah and i, I, uh, and I also think it got some uh, references that to vampiros lesbos the countess that uh in in the castle and all that. Yeah, and the stage show with the S and M stuff and the craziness yeah. on stage, not, not stripping, but still nudity, but something weird, you know, like that, you know. Yeah, I think this is a movie that was way ahead of its time. Yeah, it's funny. So watching this, it's like um, it's Franco trying to make a art movie, like was popular at the time, like a Godard or something like that. It was his way of trying to make a smart art movie and you don't know if he's making fun of the art movie or if he's being serious because the movie he made before this lucky the inscrutable was a spy kind of a spoof and he's making fun of the stuff but being serious too and that's what he kind of does with this you know yeah this is a this is a landmark movie for franco this was his first movie outside of spain Yes, it was. And it's very important that he says that he got to do what he wanted to do for a change. And yeah. and he and uses it, a lot of his stuff that he uses later on quite a bit in this film. And this is also uh, the, maybe the first movie that's really erotic. For him, yeah. I mean, yeah, there was yeah. a little bit here and there, maybe in yeah. like uh, Dr. Z and Norroth, little touches, but not as long as it is in this movie. I was, you see a lot of references that comes later in this in his career. Yes, you see the uh, the girl on stage. You see the mindless mind control. You see the beautiful woman that's the main character yeah. go all the way through the film. Um, you it, see the girl and girl stuff. You see a lot of first time stuff here. Yeah, and and I don't think it was uh, common to have uh, more like uh, movies with lesbian or homosexual. Yeah, because this was, uh, what was it, 1969, it says it came out, or 1968, actually. But yeah, so definitely that was kind of when it was just starting, like here in America in 68 was like The Wild Bunch and Bonnie and Clyde and those movies where they started to kind of, Night of the Living Dead is 1968. So yeah. you, that's where you start having everything starts changing. The whole movie start getting more exciting and the younger voices. Yeah. Like with this film, it's the new new stuff coming into cinemas. New, you know, whoa, we saw this. So like this movie played for weeks and weeks and weeks here in America because of the erotic type thing, yeah. you know. It was a it was a huge success success for Jess. 
yeah, I played for like I was reading the Roger Ebert thing and Roger Ebert didn't like it, but it played for like six or seven weeks in Chicago, you know, every day, you know, that's wild. Yeah. Because it said X rated and they said, Oh, nudity. So I'll go see this beautiful naked lady on the screen. You know, we couldn't see that before, you know, like you were saying, Jenny and Reynold, she's perfect. Oh, she's so beautiful. And she's uh, 37 or 38. Just Franco said when she made this movie, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, I know she did two more movies with him. I got them on DVD. Yeah, she did the two Red Lips films. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I got them. Yeah, those are good. Kiss Me Monster Mm -hmm. and uh, Two Undercover Angels. Yeah. Yeah. I must must say I was really blown away. It was a fantastic movie. Yes. Uh, So what, what what did you like about it that made you go, wow? I I like the atmosphere, the the psychedelic, the surreal, surreal mm-hmm. uh, the weird, uh, dreamlike. Very much so. Um, yeah, do you... it was a, yeah, then the perfect cost. It was the it, it was the the whole movie. The, mu- the music was uh, fantastic. Yes, classical and jazz together, yeah, like a mix, yeah, fant- and it was very very cool. Fantastic music. I I I really loved it. Yeah. Um, do you like David Lynch? Yes, yes. This reminded me kind of uh, maybe David Lynch watched this because there's some David yeah. Lynch elements. The little guy and the party and the, the masks and the, the dream yeah. world and the two sides and you don't know. And there's a lot of David Lynch in this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. You know. yeah, actually, when you say it, yes, it, it sure does. Yeah, the people in the tuxedos and the whole wild. And like the scene where she goes to the Admiral at the bar and there's the naked men at the bar with the tuxedo things on their neck, you know, the bow ties. And, you know, that looked like a David Lynch scene to me. It must've been a dream scene for Howard Vernon since he was, since he was gay. (laughs) Oh, was he? I was always wondering about that. Okay. He was gay. I kind of thought so. I always wondered about him and uh, Jack Taylor. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. Maybe Jack Taylor too. I don't yeah, know. I'm not kind of sure he seems, you know, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Howard Vernon. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I kind of thought so. That makes sense to how he kisses on screen and how he does things and such, you know? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I really loved it. Yeah. 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 No, it's yeah. very, very, very good. Uh, very, I, I don't, very, I didn't very know colorful. It. it was a lot of uh, cultural references. We're talking about uh, movies and uh, directors and, uh, composers and and if, I don't maybe you noticed that there was a scene where they uh, with um, Godzilla and Dracula and, yeah uh, all the models and, uh, yeah the creature from the Black Lagoon yeah and the Phantom <laughs> of the fun. Opera yeah all those yeah. Uh, there are um, Aurora models yeah. that's the company yeah. is Aurora they make the little models okay. and those came out in like the 50s or 60s you know the little toy toy models. And uh, uh, yeah, he, he very, showed all those. Yeah, very cool since he was very inspired by the old old horror movies from the 30s, 40s. Yeah, yeah, all that. And there's there's a good, um, there's a thing that I wrote down that I liked. Um, there was um, when he, uh, when Jack Taylor taking, talks, when Jack Taylor, okay, when Jack Taylor talks to a lady at the bar, he, they say um, Godard and uh, Lang yeah. and somebody else. And they say they make movies for tomorrow, and every day yeah. we understand them better. 
And that's hey. like Jess Franco. He makes movies long ago, and every day we learn more and more as we watch them and see new things, you know. And another thing I I noticed, it was very much focused on eyes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, it was for originally the movie was was titled The Green Eyes of the Devil. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if that's supposed to be her or her doctor, the or the guy that watches her, because he has green eyes too, her husband in real yeah. life. Yeah. But she I, has green eyes. Yeah, yeah. The green eyes of the devil. Which I like that title. And Franco did that a lot. Like yeah. um Virgin Among the Living Dead is um Night of the Shooting Stars. And I like that title okay. much better. You yeah, know? yeah. And same with uh, this film, Succubus or Necronomicon doesn't really fit, but The Green Eyes of the Devil is perfect, you know? You know, and the way she uh, was portrayed, maybe uh, um, she almost was like a witch. Yes. Um, yeah. Some, yeah, very... it's the thing. She's she's either a acts like a witch or she doesn't know because she's kind of programmed or she's yeah. mind, uh, mind controlled by that guy. So she, yeah. like like uh, Doctor Z, where they control the um, Lady Death, Miss Death, yeah. Miss Morete, and she kills everybody. You know, like kind of like this, where she doesn't know yeah. it. No, very. It was very uh, mind controlled team in this movie. Yes, very much so. Yeah. You see it over yeah. and over again. Now Franco is obsessed with mind control. Yeah, it's like he kind of learns something, and like like the checklist, he has these certain things he uses over and over again, and like the mind control is very important, you know. And about maybe at least half of his films, it seems like, especially these early films, you know. Yeah, and since this movie was made by around sixty seven, sixty eight, it was a lot of drug references. They yeah. take LSD and uh, tripping. Yeah, totally. They do the LSD um, sugar cubes at the party. And uh, there might be people smoking maybe throughout the movie and stuff. And yeah, they're very, and the attitude and the references, you know. A very funny scene uh, when they had this uh, party, uh, taking the LSD. All of a sudden, they want this little figure, creature on the, the shoulder of that oh, yeah, guy. Yeah. Taylor. That was really cool. Yeah, I was thinking that was like his special effect for a hallucination. The little yeah, thing maybe. on the shoulder, and then the uh, mobile that spins in front of the guy. It almost yeah. looks like you just see the little four things kind of moving. You don't see the the glass around it, so it looks like he's maybe seeing something. You know, it was even a parrot and a bird in this movie. Oh yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and the bird cages, yeah, strip teeth, and uh, it was very ahead. It was uh, like looking into the future of Jess Franco. Yeah, and also many bar scenes. You see a lot of yeah. bars or taverns always in his yeah. films, you know, and then people sitting at the bar and meeting at the bar. It's, it's so important in every one of his films that there's a bar or a tavern, you know. Yeah. All the times, you know. But uh, yeah, she she I, is very, very beautiful in this film, and she's a very good lead person that you want to watch her all the way through the movie. She's very, besides being beautiful, she has a very uh, charm about her. Yeah, yeah. I I just read her uh, Wikipedia and I found out that uh, I got a movie that she's in, um, the case of the Scorpion Tale with yeah. Sergio Martino. I, same, I got that one. Same same here. Uh, I didn't know she was in that. I, I looked at my shelves and said, "Oh." And it's funny, you know, um, in the uh, Stephen Thrower book uh, I recorded earlier, she uh, they did a sequel to this movie, uh, okay. not just Franco, but a different director. 
did a, okay. a continuation of this film with Janine Renaud, Alfred Zorn, and one other person. And <laughs> all, uh, let me see if I can tell you the title of it real fast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, uh, now I, I didn't know about that. So now I want to see it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, so Jack Taylor's in here and Howard Vernon's in here. And then those two would go on to do a lot of films with Jess Franco. Yeah, a lot of movies. Oh, um, Jess Franco mentioned about 60 movies. Yeah. 60 movies. That's crazy. I know. Because he did it all the way to the end with big white mustache and everything. Yeah. I heard an interview that uh, Jess Franco did. That uh, He said that Howard Vernon, Vernon was his best friend. Wow. That's impressive. That- yeah, because he's 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 been he's been around him for so long, you know. Um, You're from '62 to late '80s, you know. Yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah, probably until Howard Vernon passed, because uh, mm-hmm. he did that quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'll 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 send you the title of the of the film. Um, oh um, yeah. After we wrap this, you know, it's easier to yeah, find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw that she's in a movie called uh, Castle of the Creeping Flesh. Oh, she's in that too. Yeah. Okay. Good, because yeah. uh, I think Howard Vernon's in that too. I think. Yeah, I plan to buy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, that one's that one's pretty good. That's cool. Okay. So, um, okay. So let's see. Um, so uh, yeah. So 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 she's really great in this, and Vernon's in it a little bit. Um, I liked uh, I liked a lot of stuff in there. Um, the version that I have, which uh, the Necronomicon. There's a scene where she sings a little song that they cut out oh. of the of the um, succubus version, where okay. she's before she does the strip tease for Jack Taylor. She kind of oh. she reads a little list and she does a little singing thing. And there's a few little things that they cut out of that. Is that available on DVD? Yeah, you uh, you have to search for it on the internet or maybe find a file sharing place that has that. But it's not nothing okay. you can buy over the store. But it's it's from Germany is when it is from that that version yeah I, i've heard about it but uh, uh maybe check out trash palace see if he yeah I'm, I'm sure trash palace or uh you what was that uh euro trash cinema site uh i forget the yeah. exact title of that one but they're the other ones that that i got it from so yeah. and it was a very cool uh thing that they, uh, it was actually lagerfeld was who did, did all the uh, clothes yeah. for that, that was very uh, special <laughs> Yeah, I I I don't know a lot about fashion, but when I read that name, I recognized that name myself. I said, "Oh, Lockerfield did the costumes. Wow, that's pretty impressive." You know, it's yeah, like yeah. Max Factor for makeup or something. You know, yeah, it was, it was one of the most famous from uh, the costume designers in the world. So. Yeah, and her dresses in this are very beautiful, and and yeah. she's very very top shelf, beautiful, out of this world looking. You know, with her clothes and her makeup and her face, and she's so beautiful. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, she's uh, so so gorgeous. Yeah, uh, uh, Jess Franco said the first time he saw her, she's the perfect for the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw her because she came in with her husband, and then that, yeah. from there it was just everything that he he very uh, very much so. Um, one shot I really liked was um, after her and Jack Taylor have sex. They're kind of sitting in like a balcony window and you Mm -hmm. see it from the outside. And that kind of looked like a later Jess Franco shot that he would use with like uh, Lena Romay and Jack Taylor or, or something during the Dietrich era, that kind of a shot, which was very, very nice, you know? Yeah. 
I think uh, in um, uh, Dorian Gray, I think they used that shot in, in okay. that one, I believe, and a few other ones, you know. But, okay. but there's a few themes in this. This and the party sequence reminded me of a party sequence of a f- in a few later Jess Franco films. Um, I was trying to ring my brain about which ones they were, but I had recognized them uh, from uh, a Dietrich-era film and then another one that I'll have to go through my list and see. But I kind of recognized the atmosphere of, of a couple going into a party and a woman and a husband kind of breaking apart and then cheating on each other at this party. I've seen it in a few Franco films, and they kind of have it yeah. here a little bit, you know. It was very cool that uh, it was like a double crossing that uh, Jack Taylor got, yes. uh, got at the very the end. end. Yeah, yeah, at the very end. Yeah, that was a very cool. And also reminded me of the later film um, Eugenie with um, Paul Mueller and uh, Soldad. Okay, yeah. If you haven't seen that one, they, uh, it's a, a few films are quite a few films ahead of this, but it's yeah the um, Eugenie Desaad uh, with uh, Soldad Miranda. I got it. Uh, I only watched parts of it. Uh, yeah, you sh- you should watch that because parts of this reminded me of that film. I go, okay, there's a few elements, especially the Desaad of the okay. taking the lovers and killing them and and just being on yourself and a few things that was very very good with this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I. I, I can't come over uh, that uh, I'm now on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I never thought it that would happen. <laughs> oh, no, that's cool. No, that's, I like reaching out to other Jess Franco fans and seeing, you know, who wants to come on and, and talk about Jess Franco because that's what this is, is a community of people that like Jess Franco and, and want to, you know, because then yeah. from you, you know, people listen to you and they say, oh, wow. And the and other people. And it's, it's it's cool because people all over the world know that this show exists and that we all like all yeah. the Jess Franco stuff, you know. Very, the, it was a lot of the, a lot of the movie was filmed in Portugal and, and Berlin. Uh, I think they, the scenery was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I know. And they talk about uh, Lisbon, but they don't film there. Yeah, because it wasn't filmed all in Spain. But yeah, and uh, Germany and that looks really beautiful. That uh, cathedrals and the clubs and and everything. And that castle would they use later on, too. I think think that castle is used in that movie Slaves. um, Okay, okay. That are are Slavin with Lina and and, um, Steedle, you know. Yeah, I got it on DVD. Yeah, yeah. All of Dietrich, the Dietrich movies. Yeah, I think I think that castle's in that scene when she breaks out of the prison. It's in the back or something like that. Also, too, uh, I liked um, in this film when uh, Janine's in the party. There's a, a J and B bottle on the ground, and they have yeah. the uh, J and B um, liquor. Yeah, yeah. And there's places that they show the European movies always show J and B. So this is one they have the um, J and B in the film. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a, yeah. a site called J and B and Movies, and if you watch okay. a lot of the Giallo films and the European films, they always have a J and B bottles in the yeah. background. Yeah, it's like a reference to America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everybody loves like J and B. It shows class. They're like, oh, this is the best. You know, <laughs> it's funny. So I, I saw that. I thought that was pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, well, cool. No, this is good. So this is uh, episode 80 of the yeah. Franco podcast, and I'm going to have you on as a guest reviewer, and uh, Kali Sini from Los Angeles is joining me again, and she's going to come on and do a guest review of the film as well. So I'm going to talk to her oh, a little bit about 
Yes, he's great. I, I heard her. I yeah, heard her she, yeah, she had done quite a few, and then she uh, took a break and did some work stuff, and uh, she's coming back and going to jump on and board and, and do a bunch of the episodes with me again. So looking yeah. forward to that. So yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Is there yeah. anything else you want to talk about on the film Succubus or anything you want to add? Uh, I like the, the scene with his uh, dolls that was walking around. Oh yeah, like the yeah. um the uh, mannequins. They like yeah. move, they yeah. walk toward the camera. Yeah, that was very creepy. Yeah, very very uh, very creepy. Very yeah. Almost weird. like a twilight zone or something or very yeah. yeah, it was very 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 easy to do but very scary, you know. Yeah, this was uh, unusual. Yeah, I know, very very much so. It was like uh and you don't know if it's her paranoia or crazy or if it's uh something that's really happening or what you don't know or if it's her programming with the mind control or if it's crazy or what you know you don't know yeah, what what it is it's i think it's for you to decide you know yeah it's a it's a movie that's hard to understand you you must uh yeah put into it what you what you see what you yes yeah, it's a it's it's not uh, an easy movie to get. No, I think and 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 when you see it at different ages in your life or way you think makes you look mm-hmm. at it different. If I watched this when I was twenty, I probably would think it was stupid. But yeah. me watching it at forty eight, I oh wow, this is a really good movie, you know. So I don't know. I think it's just you, you- accept more when you get older, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm 48 too. So <laughs> okay, there you go. So yeah, so I think you know people change when they go through movies and such. You know, things you think, oh, this is dumb, or you know, I don't know. I think you have to get older and experience life and understand things more before you appreciate some things. I think. Yeah, the first two movies I bought uh, was Venus in First and 99 Women. Okay. And uh, I just love both of them, yeah. especially we, especially Venus in First. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, no, those are those are great. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was the first, and, and I just put them uh, in the box. I didn't check them out, and ten years later, I I, I got hooked. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like I talked about before. I kind of got in through Soledad, you know, Soledad, yeah. and uh, and uh, well. Um, Christopher Lee first when I was younger watching the Christopher Lee films and then sold yeah. odd when I got into the proper Jess Franco films, you know, Rosal Benieri too. In the early 2000s, they released a couple of his movies here in Scandinavia and I bought those two and, uh, and, they, just, and they just got in a box. I didn't check them out. Uh-huh. And, uh, and around 2015, oh, wow. 16, I got the, uh, I got, I found some stuff about him on YouTube or something like that. And then I started to check it out and I was hooked. Yeah, it must be you back then knowing, well, I will like this later, but not now. So I'll buy yeah. it and put it on the yeah. shelf, you know. Yeah, I, I've heard of his name. And I, was, and I thought the, the cover art was uh, uh, really great. Uh, I, mean, I just buy them and I put them, I see them later. And it, it never happened. They just lay in the box. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. I'm the same way. I buy films and I sometimes don't watch them, but you just know of reputation or what you read or or learn of things. You know, well, I'll 
I'll watch it later. And sometimes later is long, long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, I got tons of movies in uh, laying in boxes in the storage unit. So. <laughs> well, it's good to got... use them like clothes, just cycle them through, bring in some new ones and put in some other ones and just change yeah. back and forth, you know. Yeah, I got I got so many so many movies. I don't know, maybe thousand, fifteen hundred, I don't know. Oh boy. At least. At least. Yeah. I hear you, brother. <laughs> very cool, very cool. <laughs> All cool. right. Yeah. Well, good, good. Well, uh, I think I'm going to wrap up this part of, of the show. Yeah. So um, thank you very much for joining me and uh, talking yeah. about Succubus. I do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, maybe I can come back in the future. Do more, do yeah, more. totally. Uh, I'll get a hold of you and uh, see what films you have, and then uh, we'll see um, um, which one um, we could talk about again. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. We'll say thank you, and. And bye-bye to the listeners. All right. Well, thank you for all joining us and uh, keep listening. And uh, we'll bring on the second half of the episode. Yeah. All right. So we're back on this episode 80. Um, film 15, Succubus, or the other West German version, Necronomicon, uh, and being the co-guest uh, reviewer on this episode, I am joined um, after a long time absence of a little while. Uh, happy to return um, to this podcast, Miss Colleysini. How are you today, Colley? I'm doing quite lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good to have you back for this, uh, jumping back into the Franco universe. And this is a good film for, have you join us once again? Um, is this your first time watching Succubus? No, no. I love this movie. Okay. This is, I think my third viewing, I hmm. should watch it more, but yeah, it, it's definitely one of my favorite Franco's. Okay. And you watched the film Succubus and not Necronomicon, correct? Yes. Okay. So what I would recommend uh, is after we talk or when you get back from your trip and all that good stuff, go and watch Necronomicon. Yeah, I didn't know that that existed. That's really cool. Yeah, there's a few cool little touches. I mean, it's not night and day. Uh, It's not like um, Kiss Me Monster where it's quite a bit different. But there's little things they cut that are really cool. Like there's a scene when Janine is reading a list and she reads the ingredients and kind of a scat singing thing. And they cut that out of succubus. And there's a few little just touches that are, you know, it's only like two minutes, but it's a lot of 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, little nice things that add a really nice visual to it. And it, it doesn't, they don't explain it as much. It's more almost like Blade Runner with narration or without narration. It's kind of that way. There's less narration and less things makes you kind of, you know, like in the beginning, when he first sees her, he says, oh, she's the perfect devil. She's the one I created. She's this and that. So that's not in a Necronomicon, any of that voiceover stuff. And so it's more, you know, you just yeah. see her as it comes. So, all righty. Well, um, nice. that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, think I mean, I, I love the all the kind of scaggy sort of things when like, you know, when they're doing the back and forth with Vernon. When oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a few other- extra ones on this one, too. They add a couple names in or cut some things out or they change some of the dubbing with the names they use and that. So 
But, I'd love um, more of that. So, okay. So tell me, um, this is about your third time watching this. Uh, was this one of the first Franco films you got into or was this something down the line or, or what's yeah, your, this is, this is, I saw this one early on for sure. Um, and yeah, uh, it was just, I know one that I knew was one of my favorites and, and kind of was happy when you said that, that you wanted to revisit that one. I was psyched for that. Cause yeah, that's, it's a, it's a magical one. It has like a really distinct vibe to it. It's very dreamy. And I think, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'll tell you my theory about the metaphor and, and see if that you've already come up with this you know because <laughs> i know you've you uh you, Boil it you down. have already you know chatted about this um, yeah yeah uh, what's his name but um but yeah so um uh i mean yeah like the whole thing about how she's you know she 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 has to kill everyone that she couples with and then she's and that paired with the fact that she can't remember people that she's coupled with like you know guys keep coming up to her like you know don't you remember that time in what was it amsterdam or wherever not, right wherever it was yeah, that, right right copenhagen or something yeah <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. yeah yeah and 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 you know and then somebody else comes up to her and, and he's like you know those nights you, you have a really bad memory and she's like i've never met you i've never been there and it's like obviously you know that all if numerous people are coming up to her then these things definitely happened but she's not remembering it she's uh, murdering and all the and the thing that always strikes me is like there's that old riddle you know um how do you keep the one you love and the only answer of course is you don't Mm. and that's uh, like because that's how you 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 keep them how you it's the only way really because love will shift love will change to a point where it's unrecognizable even if maybe you're still with that person but it's not like it's never like it was when you know you first the rose first bloomed yeah yeah Yeah. and you're it's like she's trying to hang on to that rose and I think that's kind of what a succubus is like that's like when you think of like the evil woman it's the woman who somehow took that away from you who like in the beginning you had this magical space with her that you shared and then something shifted and now like the feelings that you have for her are impure and they're not, it's not that precious thing. It's this like complicated thing. And, and so it's not as, I don't know. And and so you, you lose that precious thing. And so now she's a succubus. She's taken something from you. She's stolen this thing that you gave her that you thought you had. And then now it's, and so it's like, she's trying to keep, like the whole thing where she's like, you know, kissing mannequins and like trying, like there's so many, I feel like there's so much metaphor in there about actually trying to like, because she's having all these emotions, like when she gets in bed with that woman and she's kissing her and then she has to kill her with the you know thing. And it's yeah. like, it's like the, why does she, why is she compelled to do this? And it's because maybe she wants to keep that moment forever because she knows that it won't last this is my personal opinion about how what succubus no, maybe that's, I'm just projecting, but because maybe I am a little bit of a succubus in that way. But, <laughs> no, but, but, but there is no, th- there is validity to what you say uh, on both sides. No, on uh, no, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no. But really, honestly, I mean, I didn't see that, but as you're describing it, oh. that, that totally makes sense. I mean, cause when I looked at it, I go, Oh, this is a reworking of the awful, awful Dr. Orloff meets the diabolical Dr. Z where diabolical Dr. Z 
instead of Lady Death or Miss Murete, it's the succubus woman. And she's controlled by, instead of that woman that's the scientist, it's um, Adrian Hoven's character, the guy that watches her, that mesmerizes her, that takes her to these places to kill all these people. And he's in league with Jack Taylor, supposedly. Right. In the beginning, he says he created her and all that. Right. And that's more in the American voiceover and stuff, too. But it's like, but in reality, it's like, you know, it's that same deal where somebody's bringing a beautiful woman around to lure these people to kill them one by one. And then in the end, something happens, you know, but that's more like a linear plot, not a not a symbolism or a metaphor or a deeper meaning or anything like like you described, you know. And so it's like, I think with the retitling and with the redubbing and everything, they kind of made it more lyrical and more poetic, I think, and added on some of those elements to make it. Well, also too, like with the, with the castle and with the soft focus and all that thing where it's just like, I mean, because in reality it's, she doesn't remember the things because she's under mind control or whatever is what it's supposed to be. But there's all those people that said it's about a schizophrenia and these things that are happening, she doesn't remember and it's all in her head or she this or that, or, or these visuals, she goes to a certain place, but it's really somewhere else. And, and she puts herself in this castle. Maybe it's not a castle. It's, it's just a building or, you know, so there's a lot it's of ways. Funny you say that, Cause I've actually like often thought when you, you're, cause you're, you're always looking for the mind control. And I have yeah. actually had the thought a couple of times in certain films and in, in, in the Jess world, um, that there is something to the effect of love being mind control. Oh yeah. Because whenever you're in love, like you're, you're kind of under a, like you're not yourself really. Your, your mind is kind of under the control of the spell. And so, you know, he's her, like, I love the part where, you know, they like, they ask her if, you know, do you like Dracula? Do you, are you right, afraid right. of Dracula? Are you afraid of the creature? Are you afraid of this, this dinosaur they call Godzilla right. and then uh, Frankenstein, are you afraid of the other one? And then they show, you know, him with his like Frankenstein arms out and, and that, that, but like that, that as there was the mind control thing, like he's, he's reaching out to, are you afraid of that? And, and, but she's, you know, and then it just kind of flashes off to the ocean, but like that, cause he's, he's trying to like, get her to realize that like, there's a monster, like there's something that's controlling, but yeah, like that, that's the thing though, is that like, when you meet a guy who turns you out, then like, you're trying to figure out how to retain that. And so there might be, it might be layered. I don't know. I mean, cause there's so much like uh, it, 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 I mean, I don't think it's too pretentious to say, like, I mean, it, it does seem like there are, there are layers in this movie of oh, yeah. that. Like, I do think it's actually like a really clever and, and, and thought, thought out. Like, I don't think it's just all jazz. I think there's like something more like under like that, that I do think there are like meanings and layers to it because I mean, just the, um, uh, <laughs> Oh fuck! <laughs> I was gonna say I was on a tear then, and then I just my mind like always kind of glitches. Right. But um, but yeah, like because yeah, that the all the parts where they're scatting back and forth, like you were mentioning earlier. I mean, they're talking about you know Camus, and I mean he's talking about the Marquis, like he always does. Right. But there's other stuff, Mora you know, and all that. There's, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's like so many different. You know, I mean he he says you know Justine Love, and you know and and but they go back like I mean bring up Henry Miller. I'm trying to think of all the things, but they bring up the story of oh the all these kind of contemporary things that are going on that make you think that he's got his finger on the pulse and he's trying to like kind of 
make it understood that this is philosophical, that it's, you know, he talks about Sartre, talks about like, you know, kind of deeper things than just, you know, just kind of a mind control, like you're a zombie girl and you're, I don't know. I feel like it was more than that because the the whole memory thing too, and how she's. Yeah. So, well, here it is for you, if you want, um, it goes, um, cause we're talking about the other versions and, um, it says, uh, number nine, there's actually like at least 18 different, uh, noticeable differences between the two versions. Uh, it says number nine here, the scene in which Lorna plays the word association game with the Admiral varies considerably beginning with the Admiral's opening question in Necronomicon. It's, did you bring the pebbles? In Succubus, it's, did you bring the symbols? The game in Necronomicon unfolds thus. Radigan, Eucalyptus, Goddard, Lemon, Nitribit, Spermatozoid, Faulkner, Bull, Henry Miller, uh, Sweetbirds, Robbie Grillet, no answer, Charlie Mingus, yeah, Charlie Mingus. That made me so happy. Because jazz, yeah, I guess Charlie <laughs> Cause, Mingus. Because right now, like, that's a cool thing to say. But back then, like, to have your finger on the pulse at that, because I mean, this was when what year was this? Sixty eight or something? Sixty seven. Yeah, sixty seven. I mean, yeah. like, that wasn't so well known at that point. So no. I don't know. That that's really cool. And then you go, go uh, story of O, uh, uh, Georges Ballet, uh, um, Justine, love, love, flesh, past. Marquis Assad, religion, Gamora, flesh, Sade, or uh, Assad, Gamora, uh, Francois Villion, butterfly, Strauss, bat, Peter Weiss, circle, Kafka, Castle, Castlegate, Heinz, passion, Hitchcock, eyes, Caldwell, murder. The game in Succubus proceeds as follows Faulkner, cold, Henry Miller, birds in winter, uh, Capote, no answer, Charlie Mingus, anger, story of O, whips, Justine, love, love, body, Camus, plague, tomorrow, the inferno, oh. <laughs> uh, the unconscious, Marquis de Sade, religion, Gamora, Goth, Sade, Gamora, uh, Francois Villon, bitterness, um, Johann Strauss, bats, Peter Weiss, circle, Kafka castle, Hein Domino, Hitchcock eyes, Caldwell murder. So yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, the the Camus, the plague that that caught me too because I mean, like I'm sure you've read Camus, but like the the other. No, I haven't. I'm not was, learned on that, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. I'm sure you, you probably read The Stranger when you were young, right? Probably. I've gone through. I've read a lot, okay. but yeah, I've gone through. I'm sure if I read some, I would. I would probably click. You yeah. know, I devoured Camus when I first. He, I adore him. He's like the gateway into all that existentialist, or you know, um, yeah. but but yeah, um, uh, the plague is is that's a book um there's these rats it's all very like hot and i don't know it's it's very dreamy gives a certain um like just for for that to be the two words conjures a certain like feeling and mentality and then it's like it totally goes with that film like that kind of the fuzziness the i don't know that that film i loved how fuzzy it is at certain points there's so many gorgeous 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 scenes I love so much that Carl Lagerfeld did the fashion. Like oh, I know that's crazy. It's fucking so sick. Like the some of the stuff in there is just off the chain. Like when she goes down that staircase and she's got that red like thing yeah. hooked with the open. Oh my god! I mean, 
I watched that like four times. I was just like, I need to see that. I was laying in my bath watching it. Like, I'm going to watch that again, just because that made me feel so good. And I just watched it over and over. Yeah. Yeah, Because they talked about with her being a model and that, you know, she knew how to wear the clothes that way. And she looked good in the outfits and they designed for her and this and that stuff. Stunning. Yeah. And yeah, all the, all the mannequins, all um dressed in Lagerfeld and then like they soft focused it though for like half of it I was like oh my god zoom in I want to see the details but it was also kind of super dreamy and kind of awesome well also too that. that's a lot like uh Hitchcock's Vertigo and he mentions uh Hitchcock in there and that's like Vertigo yeah. where Kim Novak may or may not exist and same with this woman she may or may not exist you know she goes into that castle and take you away and so it's you don't know very dreamlike and very you know yeah figure it out if it's real or not you know so I think with the soft focus like that he's trying to do that Hollywood kind of soft focus you know vastly on the lens kind of you know for sure thing type deal um Howard Vernon's in here he's very short in here as the admiral um, it's kind of interesting. There's a scene, uh, I was talking to Ragnar about it, where he's sitting in the bar with the kind of guys with the bow ties on and no clothes. Love the naked drinks. guy with the yeah. bow ties serving the drink. <laughs> that was very, very interesting. I need one of those right up in here in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, parts of this film reminded me of David Lynch. Like that scene to me was like a David Lynch scene. And the acid party to me was like a David Lynch scene, especially with the little guy and the tuxedo and the people with the masks and crawling. And that, to me, that seemed like a David Lynch type of thing and stuff. So I don't know, I'm curious if David Lynch um, ever watched this film growing up or, or had it in the back of his head for a few ideas, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I, I love the idea of watching Franco with David Lynch. I, that thought never occurred to me, but... I yeah, really no, want to be on a couch with Lynch right now watching Frank. <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, no, there's a few shots in Vampiros Lesbos and this, and there's a few things where if you like just took a couple scenes out of just Franco films and put them together and like put on the end, people be like, oh, okay, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I'm saying copy or nothing, but it's just very similar themes or tones. No, or, they both like, had that yeah. like wild artist mind of the surreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, they definitely, yeah, I can see the kismet there. That's, that's sweet. And then that's what art is. You take a pinch of this, take a pinch of that, and your own things and mix it around and there's your spell, you know? So, but um, yeah, yeah. So like, so like for me with this film, uh, I'd always seen like this image of this film growing up in that or not growing up, but maybe like in my teens and twenties and that, but I, I, I never watched it because like looking at the poster, I thought it was like a witchcraft movie or like something to do with the occult or devil. Cause it has like an upside down cross kind of, and it's got her image in there. And, and that's a very iconic image. Like I was thinking back when I was watching this, like before I knew Franco, I knew her image in that shot. Like, and I used to see that a lot on like cult books and cult film books and stuff. And like the nineties and later on and different things. And when anchor Bay put these out on VHS, there was always pushing that image, you know, succubus. And that was like a, something to sell the film on. And if you watch it, I don't know, to me, it kind of, it's not false advertising in my mind, but it, the, the image doesn't support the film, in my opinion. It's like I, I vision something else. I mean, in my, in my expectations, I think if I saw that, I would expect it a different movie. I would expect it like Mark of the Devil or, or Witchfinder General or, or, you know, something different than this film, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a lot sexier. But, I mean, it's 
you know, there's still lots of murder. Well, there's that one that says like Succubus 70 or something like that. And it's got a cool one, like a cool poster. I've seen that one. And that's more into this vibe, you know, the actual movie poster when it came out. I think it was just the video later on when they did that trying to think. Yeah, I guess it does have kind of that. Yeah. For the time period and for the, the kind of movies coming out with the, with that kind of look that, that tracks that that'd be off yeah be off to you yeah but yeah i don't know i guess i haven't thought about that much but yeah so like um what's what's uh what's what's other things that you really really dig about this or what's something that like stays in your brain when you keep going back to this film besides what you said already basically um gosh um i don't know there was a part at the party that um that I thought was magical. I loved the party scenes. Just, you know, he's got that scene where like, there's like a lizard crawling on someone's back. On her back, yeah, yeah. Goes to like this guy spacing off and there's this mobile kind of in front of him. And then this woman is like in a trance dream kind of thing. And she's, um, and she's talking like like she's asleep, but she's she's got this kind of attitude, and she's sort of like really kind of being sexy and, and playful, but like kind of in a wicked way. And I don't know, like it, it's just all of that, like and and how yeah. Then they accuse the woman or something, and she ends up like they had they have an orgy, and yeah, there was something about that that yeah, they all me. crawl on top of her, and then they and the guy comes in and like kind of pulls her away and like yells at her and like slaps her or something yeah and, like, pulls her, like, what the, you know, and then the guy of- comes up to her like you're acting really strange and she's yeah. like i don't know you and even though clearly the guy knows her really well and then that yeah that all of that again just made me think of and like you know how maybe you want to love a bunch of people and then somebody you know it, like doesn't see you like they don't maybe they they think they know you but who they know isn't what they're seeing because you, right. you 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 have different people within you yeah and, and that's the image they see you in that not the image of who you are you know yeah yeah and so i don't know it's funny like just I, there's so many i i guess i just really relate to the succubus in a lot of ways <laughs> Yeah, she. So it's just I don't know. I really love this movie because it just I always kind of feel like there's something that I connect with, like very specifically. I guess I already explained what that is, but it's yeah, yeah. funny. No, it's cool. And like uh, Janine, she was like uh, they said she was like 37 or 38 when she made this film. So I, I just thought that was really really cool that she's like so beautiful and just you know not some yeah. 20 year old you know who. Hey, that's a woman's you know. prime. Exactly. I know. Exactly. I was like, wow. You know, she's 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 amazing in this and. Um, also, too, this is the first film that uh, Jack Taylor's in with uh, Jess Franco, and I had learned that he was a paper mache sculptor before he was an actor. And uh, they awesome. just, yeah, they just thought he was really guy, <laughs> and this and this and that. And they kind of his agent or friend got him in touch with Franco, and then put him in the movie, and he just kind of went from there and stuff. But uh, imagine but, being that you know, being your job, like I'm a paper mache sculptor. I love that. Yeah, it's but just interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. quitting my job right now. And I'm just going to be a paper mache sculptor from now on. So yeah, and to have that as a career, I'm curious. I would like That's to see like layering paper, right? Yeah, yeah. You just the <laughs> dipping in the building, and the, you know. But I I've seen that as a yeah, kid. Yeah. <laughs> so that was his I trip. I love that. I'm sorry, Jack Taylor. Just like layering paper. Like this is my this is my job. This is my art. <laughs> love it. 
And also there's a really cool shot with him uh, after he has sex with her. They're sitting in this like uh, window stoop of like a, of the like balcony area and he's naked and she's naked and they're sitting there. That looked like a shot Frank would use later on in the seventies. Like that shot was totally beautiful. Almost like a, when I first saw that, there's a couple of things visually that I thought of other films when I watched this and this film came first. So that shot of them flashed in my head, like uh, last tango in Paris. I just saw that in my head when I saw the shot of those two. I was like, oh, that kind of like a last thing on Paris. And then the shot when you were talking about the woman's back and that lizard, I go, oh, um, lizard in a woman's skin. That's that. Totally. Uh, yeah. you know? So I was like, okay, there's that, you For know. Sure. So, yeah. but, you know, and also to that scene where you're talking about uh, the party scene, I was thinking like the little thing on his shoulder is like some hallucination that they're seeing because they're taking LSD, you know, that little creature that's on his shoulder. And then the mobile that's kind of like spinning, it's almost like a special effect where you're supposed to just see the items that are kind of spinning because the mobile itself is kind of made to be invisible. It's like that see-through plastic type thing. So it's almost like his cheap special effect of they're tripping and they're seeing this shit around there and the thing on his shoulder and uh, you know whoa which is cool like like, that's his cheap special just is probably like just act like you're bored you know like because the guy was just kind of staring off like uh and (laughs) this like silly thing is like playing i don't know yeah because you just kind of the shots in that party scene were just just awesome i love how like it opens and they're just sitting on the floor with a bottle of jb and the J&B of movies. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Well, there's J&B. I took a picture where she's crawling and there's a J&B bottle right there. I'm like, oh, that would be used yeah. many times and many films later, you know. And also, too, this party scene, he kind of went over this a few in a few later of his films. I always forget the film, but there's a scene where a couple, I think a, the lady's a bartender and or a couple's a bartender and they go to this party and they kind of like swap couples and then some things happen and they're all upset and stuff. But I was like, okay, he used that and I think it was like a one of the Dietrich films later on but i was like okay that's in that one and i meant i saw this a few other films like okay i kind of reckon recognize that setting and the kind of genesis that he used later on you know in a few huh. other films so i thought that was pretty interesting and uh let me think what else yeah, i thought I was yeah yeah i always <laughs> little things like that always stick in my head like a song or a, a scene or something that they're trying to use because uh i, I always always dig that um and let's see what else i thought oh yeah what also i thought was cool was the uh the castle of Lucifer story. Oh, jog my memory. Where he talks to the woman and this guy was really rich and he got his, his woman and this woman designed the whole oh, yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and it was Satan. And uh, yeah. And the room was the room in hell. And that she was, you know, from hell and she killed, he's like, why did you kill me? And it's because, you know, almost like the scorpion and the frog or something, but, but, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the succubus. I'm from hell. And, all this stuff I've seen because this is how it is in hell. And it's like, it had a whole nother like, Oh shit. Yeah, it was weird that he's like talking to a woman who can't remember about a woman who can't remember. Yeah. And then explains to her that why she can't remember is because Satan <laughs> kind of, sort of like, like, does this can like, do you get what I'm trying to tell you here? <laughs> yeah. like, you're under the control of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And then also too, what I thought was cool because like, like I said, I had made movies before I got into Jess Franco. So I did a film called Love Blade where a woman kills the people she's with sexually before she has sex with them. And like that was happening in this movie. I was like, holy shit, this is cool. I fucking dig this movie. It's like just what I was writing, you know? <laughs> so it's funny. So I, so I kind of identified with, with that on, on, on his scale. And then also to another thing I caught was um, her name was Lorna. 
in this. And Lorna was yeah, like, Lorna the cool, Exorcist. Yeah, Lorna the Exorcist. And also, too, Russ Meyer used the name Lorna quite a bit in like the 60s and 70s. He had Super Lorna, and Lorna was. Yeah, like, I totally caught Lorna. that and love that. And Lorna's Lorna kind of a weird name. Yeah, and it's like kind of like 60s kind of a movie name, or I don't know, whatever, Southern totally. name. Totally, I've never met a Lorna. Yeah, same here. I was like, Lorna, Lorna Maitland, or Lorna, you know. So, yeah, this had Lorna. I thought that was pretty badass. And what and there's a scene, too, that I uh, talked to Ragnar about, which I love, is they go, um, she, they're doing the back and forth with Jack Taylor and that woman party. They go, um, yesterday they make movies for tomorrow, and every day we understand them better. They were talking about um, Lang and Goddard and another director. And I like that of like, oh, yeah. Jeff, like, like just Franco, you know, they make movies for tomorrow and every day we understand them better. So it's like, you'll make something. And as the future goes on, people will break it down and see things. And, yeah. You know, it was like, Jess was saying like, this movie will stand the test of time. Just you fucking wait. Exactly. It's gonna have clues totally, and- yeah. That was, that was like, kind of like he was, he was front there. He was like, yeah, like watch me, watch yeah. me go. <laughs> he was like, you fucking watch this movie years on. You'll still be like, yeah, it's a good movie. It's like he knew. And I mean that even that shot was filmed so cool with the way their faces were like, yeah. like, like they lit and just against each other and, you know, facing different directions. And yeah, that was, that was a cool kind of actually Godard shot a little bit. Like, yeah. Like, and that's what, fartsy. and that's that what they talked about with, with this film. They talk about how Franco was either, trying to make a art new wave film or he was spoofing it or, or trying to do both or making his version of one or, or something. But yeah, you could totally see like you're talking it's about a love letter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's smart. If something's the, the fashion or the wave of what's going on, it's, an, it's, it's, you know, and that's a common thing is to make something in that vein and try to be of the time and, and be a piece of that block of things, you know, and, and there's, there's sure. no harm in that. So, but yeah, I bet if oh, something's it's, good, it's totally good, you know? It's great. How, I love how he nodded to all the contemporary cool shit. I, like, I don't know. That tickles me. Cause I mean, you know, like, like I said, like saying Mingus and all that stuff kind of like is, is, is cool. And it's actually of the moment. It's like, if you name drop like what's happening right now and, you know, music and, right. and you know, like it, that's like, I get that like probably 30 years, 40, 50 years from now, like it'll be like, well, duh. Yeah. You know, Ty Siegel. But like now if like, you know, it was like name drop, it's sort of like, there's a certain nod, like, yeah, I have my finger on the pulse, you know, right. like, it's just I know it's cool night. and what's well, going to stay cool in the future or whatever, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not some flash <laughs> in the pan. Yeah. Cause they mentioned in one version, the Rolling Stones and in the other version, they don't, they mentioned, uh, like yeah, I like how she, she'll, she'll permit the Rolling Stones. What, did, what was it she said about the Rolling Stones was like, because she uh, she was saying that everything was uh was what was it uh, reductive or I don't know so there was some like you know something that she was talking smack about and he was listing you know things and kind of seeing her judgment on them and he says Rolling Stones and she's like oh like you know like they weren't bad sort of like <laughs> just like oh come on <laughs> yeah I'm trying to go through yeah, oh, yeah, it yeah it goes um <laughs> uh. Let's I'm sure see. they're popular, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, bah, 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 bah. It says uh, Bill and a young woman discuss art, and the woman reels off a list of things she sir, regards as outmoded. In Necronomicon, yeah. they include uh, Carl Heinz Stockhausen, uh, Calder. Um, yeah, I love Calder. Like I was like, ha, come on. Yeah, maybe uh, Alexander Calder, the, the American sculptor. <laughs> they said. Um, oh, actually, it says. Calder, the American sculptor who originated the mobile, an example of which can be seen during the acid party sequence. And it has a question mark. So that's interesting. He yeah, used that, I actually caught that. I yeah. always catch Calder's mobiles in films. That's like my 
like one of my favorite things to see. I love his, I've actually made mobiles. I went through a phase where I got really obsessed with. Oh, things. wow. That's, that's really interesting. I love Calder so much. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> it says uh, pop art and the Rolling Stones now not outmoded in Necronomicon are uh, Palestrina, probably Giovanni Perugia di Palestrina, the, the Renaissance composer, um, goth or geth, um, fittingly given the quotations earlier. Um, Ahmad Jamal, uh, the Four Tops, uh, Julie or um, Julio Cortezer, uh, loving and, the Four Tops and whole being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They never got a style, so yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting that it's just the, yeah, the version. They knew all the things to kind of drop that were gonna like endure. There wasn't like you know, right? It wasn't like you know, like the. Stuff. The Stallbury Alarm Clock or the, you know, 1812 Gum Company or whatever, you know, those right. things where it's more pop or yeah. silly, you know. Yeah. But um, so, yeah. So, no, this is uh, definitely a quality Jess Franco film uh, up there with Awful Doctor Orloff, Diabolical Dr. Z and stuff. These are some of his early, really strong things that you could, you know, put up on the shelf and they're they're definitely worthy to take down again and again and, and view and, and uh, you know. Definitely a good film. Very, very beautiful all the way through. Yeah, just gorgeous. Yeah, and go Lagerfeld for hooking all that up. I just want to say that again. Yeah, and me the, the looks because it's so iconic too. Some of those looks are so like his signature, and it's kind of awesome to see that. Just especially that red dress thing. It's just like, like I kept like watching that, thinking like, how could this be better? Like, like you know, just like I just couldn't kind of think of how like the way that it fit her and just the shape, like the the form, all the like the I don't know, and because when she goes through those doors at the end of that shot, you know, yeah, 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 and she just makes that like entrance, and it's just so hip. It's just like God, that's so beautiful. Like that must have been just so gorgeous to film. I don't know. And that yeah. and that castle that like kind of fort that's uh, oh, right yeah. there, so yeah. amazing and beautiful and they, and and you see that in a few you feel like the chicks from fascination are gonna run out with their sides yeah exactly <laughs> Richie Leahy with the fucking yeah sickle and scythe coming at her but no there's a scene too of um uh in a Lisbon actually it's actually not in the book of not the finished film where she's walking through these giant gates and she's wearing that dress and yeah she's she's so amazing in this film she's uh definitely one of his first uh you know icons of franco even though she only did the three films with him but then she also did uh, uh case of scorpion's tale and she's in a few other euro films but she only did three for franco so nice yeah yeah no, she's she's very interesting so yeah her and uh, and also too i read uh yeah yeah actually i caught that when we did kiss um, monster or whatever that was like that's the third one I've yeah seen. that's the third I've final one franco's yeah. And then, and then, what's weird is in this book, and I have to look for it. But in, and they read it on here. Uh, they made a not Franco, but without Franco, they made a follow up to Succubus or a sequel with Janine and Hoven and like one other person. And really, yeah. So, and a different director. I'll have to look it up and and kind of watch. Yeah. it. I'm kind of curious now because yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. So I don't know if it advances the story or if it's part two or i have no idea but it, it's totally about it. random <laughs> yeah. 
So that's great though. That's that's cool. I wouldn't have thought that this would have had a part two. Yeah, because what because I guess the producer wanted to follow up or do something, just wasn't interested. He wanted to do something else. So they went ahead and but he said, Okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. and then somebody else went ahead and, and they did it with the I love it. The producer was so. so like obsessed with the movie. Yeah, he's like, This is a good thing, and they they he saw the value and then he was making money and stuff, and they knew it was what it was, so they wanted to quickly follow it up, you know. So nice. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Jess was like, I got a million other ideas oh, <laughs> I gotta I know. go pop off. <laughs> Yeah, because after this, he gets in with Harry Allen Towers and he starts doing all the, you know, Justine and Eugenie and the Fu Manchus and all the 99 Women and all the, those string of movies, you know, that's coming up. So, so yeah, yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Succubus slash Necronomicon? Which this film has nothing to do with either title. Actually, both title. Well, Succubus fits a little better, but yeah, Necronomicon is totally silly as well because... You know, the Necronomicon by H.P. Lovecraft has nothing to do with this film, really. So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you love something, just, you know, tie it up to a... a oh, what are those crosses called? St. Andrew's Cross? And oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> one of the films, the actual X, where they're... Yeah. You would yeah, probably, there's yeah, the St. Andrew's sure. Crosses. Okay. Yeah. You, That's cool. You love something, tie it up to a St. Andrew's Cross and, and knife it in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Flagellate it first, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but first make out with it and titillate it and get it all yeah. hard and then and then kill it. Yeah. Which there is that hot <laughs> scene where that girl's wearing that red shirt and she's like messing with her at the end and she's tied up to that cross and she's got the blade on her when she, when she kills those two people. There's that, you know, that famous shot of the gal on the St. Andrew's cross and then and then uh, Janine with the knife by her, which is pretty wrong yeah. <laughs> yeah totally yeah i love when the chick is screaming no and the guy is like like he knows he might die but he's still like no but yes but yeah no. i know he's like kind of getting into it earlier when she's kissed her. he's like it's <laughs> funny my heart says no but my mind says yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but no i yeah. definitely liked your interpretation on this and that's another thing cool about good works of art uh something's really a good work of art people can see it on many different levels and take from it what they see and everybody sees. And not that there's a thousand ways to read a film, but there is many ways, many layers and, and a film just like the shining or something where there's people can read it in a lot of different ways. And same with this, people can read it in, in many ways. And, and everything uh, is all perception. Yeah. yeah. We always, we only see what we can relate to. It's yeah. It's, it's goofy. I mean, of course I, I guess I just love this movie because I definitely like have a certain kinship with the notion of, of a succubus. Yeah. yeah, and it's very romantic. <laughs> There's a lot of crashing waves and music, and it's a very, you know, Hanukkah romance, beautiful paperback, you know, really elegant, yeah. and it's very so beautiful. gorgeous. Classy. Yeah. yeah. Classy smut. That, you know? that hedonist life. Yep, exactly. Yeah, because this was X rated when it came out and played in the United States as an X rated film. So that's kind of crazy, you know. Yeah. Really not that much nudity to it. Just see no. the Jack Taylor and her in the window is probably the most risque shot, probably in the film. Well, maybe, yeah. Even the crosses stuff, the gal's like dressed. Yeah, that and seems stuff. pretty great though when she when he gets home and she's just laying like Oh yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. gold naked on the bed on the couch there. Like nothing like, wrong oh, with that. Damn. He yeah. looks like, oh, oh, okay, that's happening. That was, yeah. That was great. Yeah. And then and Jack Taylor didn't look like he had a hard time acting uninterested in her. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He's like, okay. Yeah. He's always kinda like oh, this. Yeah. All those movies he seems to not be, you know. Like if you watch the later ones, he kisses very interesting, you know, so that's all I'll say. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Fun stuff. All right. All right. So cool. Now this Thanks is good. Thanks for having me on this one. I, 
I love that movie. So. Yeah, this is good, and it's a good one for episode eighty. I figure the eighty is a good number, so uh, it's a, a mighty wow. strong number. So this is good for this to be episode eighty and twenty away from number hundred. So that'll, that'll be even funner. Ooh. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully, Exciting. we're all still around, everything's still going, and we can do episode one hundred. So yeah, I'm pretty sure crossed. we're all gonna get nuked, but you know, it's just me. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully we can break the glass on the microwave oven. So watch uh, as many Franco films as you can before the apocalypse. Exactly. Drink it up because <laughs> enjoy every last drop because that's the sweet nectar of life. Let us always rejoice. So yep, yep. all right. Now I'm in. Have a good night. Cheers. Cheers.